0: He looked like a normal boy, dressed up against his will for church, hair slicked down, ears squeaky clean, and a body forced to wear a suit that had worked its way down through two older brothers and was now being pressed too soon into service on his thin, wiry shoulders. But something about Ben made him stick out in the middle of this family and this church, like the colic on his nine year old head. Radio, a little different tonight. I hope you like being read to. And I hope you like stories. Because I'm going to read to you from the story, Saint Ben, which was my first novel and a wonderful story about a incongruous little kid named Ben Beamery. We'll read a little bit. Maybe we'll talk a little bit along the way. If you're like my wife, you enjoy this. She loves being read to. Picture so far, little Ben wearing a suit too big for him with his family in church. They made an almost perfect picture, all five of them standing there on the platform in much the same pose as the one on the picture tucked into the bulletin that Sunday morning. The proud father and two of his three sons each wore a small red rosebud, while the mother had been decorated with an orchid corsage on this their first Sunday as the new first family of the Colorado Avenue Standard Christian Church. The almost of the he wore no rosebud, And I imagine, now that I think about it, that he had probably removed it the first chance he got and impaled it to the bottom of the pew with the long pearl-headed pin that had briefly held it fast to his pale blue seersucker coat. It wasn't only his bare lapel that signaled something different about Ben. It was his angular stance. His eyes all twisted up in a squint, and his head cocked to one side as if listening for another voice with ears too large for a face that would never catch up to them. Very little about Ben matched the perfect picture that his family, indeed that the whole church, was trying to fit into that morning. Ben was what was wrong with the picture. He was the only one in the whole church who was not smiling. He wasn't smiling in the picture inside the bulletin either, the one that introduced his family to the church and his father as the new pastor. It was a picture in the bulletin that we saw before we saw the real Ben, and seeing the real Ben made you understand about the picture, that it hadn't been a mistake and that this was probably the best picture anyone could ever get of Ben Beamering through the eye of a camera, or any other eye, for that matter. I had been up there on that same platform myself, and I had smiled just the way Ben's older brothers were smiling. The, I want to be just like my father look. Joshua and Peter Beamering possessed the fewest of their father's physical features, and yet they longed the most to be like him. You could tell that morning how proud they were to be there, just as you could tell how desperately Ben wanted to be somewhere else. Anywhere but on that platform, looking out at all those smiling people, Ben's brothers were clearly in their element that Sunday morning in March of 1958 Ben, however, with every strand of his hair held against its will by waves set, obviously had other thoughts. The sermon that morning was long and full of all the things that would make a standard Christian congregation proud and certain they had made the right choice in their new pastor. Ben's father, Jeffrey T. Beamring, Jr., had some very large shoes to fill. In just 12 short years, the pastor before him, T.J. Barham, had brought this small struggling church to life, winning a respectable amount of people back into the traditional white clapboard building that had suffered before he came from a painful church split. Jeffrey T. Beamring was inheriting a pulpit that epitomized all that made these faithful churchgoers proud to be standard Christians and certainly that they were smack dab at the center of the perfect will of God. Jeffrey T. Beamring, Jr. was young, in his mid-thirties, and he had the same fervor that Pastor Barm had possessed when he first came. At least, that's what I heard. Many of the older members hated to see their beloved pastor go But if the bounce in Jeffrey Beamering's step and the fire in his voice were any indication, well, they were in for even greater things than they had basked in for 12 years under T.J. Barham. So on this splendid Sunday morning in March, with the bright sun bouncing off freshly painted white colonial columns and the choir sitting tall in its loft and the people sitting tall in their pews, Everyone was smiling, everyone that is, except Ben Beamering. The new pastor delivered well that morning. Some said it was the best sermon they had ever heard from that pulpit. It was Jeff, definitely Jeffrey T. Beamering's best and his favorite, a sermon that would become the most reliable in his repertoire. It was based on a famous statement, by the 17th century mathematician and scientist turned religious philosopher Blaise pascal in which he likened man's spiritual condition to a god-shaped vacuum in the human heart an empty longing that only god can fill it was also a sermon of great portent for jeffrey t beemering and his family though i would hear that sermon later in many variations I only heard about it that first Sunday because, as usual, I didn't save for the sermon. I was in children's church watching Lenora Kingsley get her first taste of what it was going to be like having Ben Beamering in her class. The first thing we all noticed was that Ben didn't do any of the hand motions to the Sunday school songs. In fact, he didn't sing any of the songs. He just sat in the front row with his arms folded. We had our share of malcontents, like Bobby Brown, who was always drawing attention to himself. His favorite trick was to reverse the hand motions, motion wide when we sang deep, deep when we sang wide, and to sing loudly on those notes where we were supposed to only motion and not sing. Then everyone would turn around and point and laugh, which was exactly what Bobby wanted. Bobby and his little band of eight-year-old deviants always sat in the back row. If they could have invented a row further back, they would have sat there. That's what made Ben's behavior seem so strange. Though he had the outward demeanor of a deviant, he sat right down in the front row, alone, directly in front of Miss Kingsley. No one ever sat in the front row. Because I was sitting directly behind him in the second row, I couldn't help but notice that his ears looked even bigger from the back than they did from the front. From the back, it was easy to see that the problem with Ben's ears was not just their size, it was also their shape. They were cupped like radar screens facing forward, as if designed that way by God for better reception. We were all thinking it, but it took someone like Bobby Brown to say it. Hey, Dumbo, he yelled from the back of the room, and we all froze. Ben didn't flinch. Miss Kingsley glared at Bobby and began playing the piano vigorously, directing our singing as she always did with her head and torso while her hands were busy up and down the piano keys. She seemed more nervous and intent than usual probably because the new pastor's son had positioned himself right in front of her. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Miss Kingsley's head went deep and wide, and we all motioned appropriately with our hands Bobby sang where he wasn't supposed to, and Ben didn't sing at all. Hey, what's with Dumbo? Hollered one of Ben's henchmen from the back row, gaining courage from his leader's earlier success with the comparison. Kingsley ignored the disruption and plowed ahead into the next song. We are climbing Jacob's Ladder. We are climbing Jacob's Ladder. We are climbing Jacob's Ladder. Soldiers of the cross Ben continued to sit there stoically Arms folded Lenore Kingsley Growing increasingly nervous over his non-participation Stopped the song abruptly And tried the direct approach Class, most of you probably know We have a new child with us today He's our new pastor's son, Ben Beamring Ben Welcome to Children's Church. No one moved or made a sound for a few snickers from the back row. Ben, are, are these songs new to you? Asked Mince keenly, knowing they couldn't have been foreign to the son of a standard Christian minister, but trying her best to deal with the awkward silence. No, ma'am. Is there some reason why you can't sing with us then? Yes, ma'am. I don't like these songs. Is there a song you'd like to sing? No, not really. Would you care to tell us why you don't like these songs? I figured Lenora was taking a big chance with that question, and I hadn't even heard the answer yet. They're not true, said Ben, and they don't make any sense. Have you ever been on Jacob's Ladder? Do you know anyone who has? I bet no one here has ever even seen Jacob's Ladder. It's just a dream some guy had in the Bible. If we never going to see it or be on it, then why are we singing about climbing it? Everyone sat stunned for the longest time. Even the back row was quiet, including Bobby Brown. We'd never heard anyone our age speak to an adult in such a straightforward manner. How about Jesus Loves Me, Miss Kingsley said, faltering. Surely there's nothing wrong with that song. And she started right into the introduction to move us through the bottleneck. This time, as we all started to sing, Ben began to sing too. In fact, Ben sang out so clearly that I had to stop singing. I'm not sure why, except that Suddenly, I was aware that my own voice was grating against something much more beautiful, unlike anything i had ever heard before. It wasn't the only one. I wasn't the only one with this reaction. One by one, everyone else dropped as if suddenly they were elbowed by perfection, interrupted by beauty, caught unawares by the voice of an angel. They each stopped suddenly in the middle of a vowel and looked around the room to find the source of that mysterious, rounded, bell-like haunting sound. Even Miss Kingsley stopped, which was most obvious because her loud, warbling vibrato always dominated our singing sessions. She was the last to drop out, and for a moment, her throaty voice was clashing with that pure tone coming from the boy with the big ears in the front of me, clashing, but not overpowering, right up against the tone, in and around the tone, but never touching it. By the time we got to the chorus, Ben was singing all by himself. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Somehow, Miss Kingsley managed to keep playing the piano through all of this, and when we finally stopped, everything was quiet. Nobody moved. We all just stared silently at Ben at the back of his head, at his radar screens turned inward. Ben, however, seemed unaware that everyone had stopped singing. As if his voice had carried him off somewhere so far away that even though his body was still there on the front row, his spirit hadn't quite made it back yet. That was very nice, Ben, Lenora Kingsley finally said, and we all slowly came to and returned to the rest of the program, as if nothing had happened. It wasn't something comment on anyway. Wherever Ben's voice had taken us, it was not a place we could remain in very long, nor a place we could talk about once we returned. In fact, no one ever said anything about what had happened that morning in children's church, except that from then on, whenever anyone wasn't there that day, who wasn't there that day, suggested we sing, Jesus Loves Me, there was a loud chorus of disapproval. There would be no singing of Jesus Loves Me. Ben Bringring was not around. We all made sure of that. Chapter 2. Ice Tea. In the car on the way home from church, my mother let us know, the Beamerings were coming over for dinner. It didn't seem right, she said, that the pastor's family didn't have a dinner invitation on their first official Sunday. Moved in over the weekend, and she had a hunch Mrs. Beamring hadn't been able to prepare anything. We always have more than enough roast, said Mrs. Beamring. It's going to be, Mrs. Beamring's going to bring a salad, mother said. We'll just make do. My heart sank when I heard this. I didn't like it when we had guests over for Sundays. That was our time together as a family. Sundays had a routine that was close to a ritual for me. It was the best meal we had all week. Mother would start early in the morning by browning the meat and cutting the vegetables while my sister Becky and I set the table. The roast was put in the oven before we left for church so that right about the time the pastor stepped up cooking the meat,
1: by the altar
0: call, juices were bubbling up in the bottom of the pan, and the wonderful smell would be permeating the house. The first whiff of that aroma as I walked in the door after church was a major part of Sunday. It signaled home and comfortable clothes and reading the funnies and fine china and laced tablecloths and iced tea with sugar piled up in the bottom of the glass and long iced teaspoons planking around in the glanular swirl. I wanted all this for myself. I didn't want to have to share it with anyone, and I didn't want to have to perform for anyone. That's the other thing I didn't like about having guests on Sunday. When we had guests, we sat differently and talked differently. I had to keep my tie on until dinner was over. And no one ever talked to me. And I had to be careful not to eat too much. Family hold back, FHB, was the motto when we had guests for Sunday dinner. And I resented that. I liked being full and eating one more piece of meat just because it was there and it tasted so good. I liked not having to hold back and still having some left over. FHB applied to more than just food. We held back ourselves. We held back what we really wanted to say. We held back any right to deserving this time for ourselves. My parents' time was in great demand at the church during the rest of the week, so it was only natural that we would want them all to ourselves on Sunday. My father was the minister of music of the Colorado Avenue Standard Christian Church in Pasadena, California. Before I was born, he had been a high school music teacher and band leader. Stories that somehow surfaced made me wish I had been around then because that man sounded like a lot more fun than the version I grew up with. Apparently, my father had once been quite a hit with the students and even earned the nickname Lips Lieberman or the trumpet solos he used to play in the student dance band he had formed and conducted. Something must have gotten lost when Lips traded in his horn for the ministry, because the man I knew always seemed preoccupied with worry, which I could never figure out since he was, in essence, such a kind and good man. The only time my father ever showed any real emotion was when he was directing the choir he would step up to the little podium in the choir loft and infuse every eye with a charged wave of anticipation. And by the time his hands went up and came down for the first note of the organ introduction, he had sprung out of his small world of worry and become larger than life. We'll need to put a leaf in the table, said my father, as we waited at the signal light on Huntington Drive. We'll need to put All three leaves in, added my mother. There are five of them, you know. Is Ben coming, I asked? Of course. Why wouldn't he? I don't know, I said. He's kind of strange. In what way, dear, asked my mother. I don't know. He's just not like the rest of the kids. He doesn't smile a lot. It's always hard to move to a new home. You don't know because you've never had to, but... Ben is in a totally strange place without his friends. He's probably just shy. Then my sister spoke up. Shy? Oh, why do you say that? Asked my mother. Didn't you see him on the platform this morning? Becky said, sliding up on the edge of the back seat and resting her arms on the dip in the middle of the front seat of our 57 Ford. He looked like he was way too big for his britches. That's what I think. Now, Rebecca, said my mother, don't go jumping to conclusions. You haven't even met the boy. I knew what it was like up on that platform. Every time they introduced new members to the congregation, all the families of the church, staff, had to go up there and greet them. I always hated having to do that. Remember to smile, Jonathan, my mother would say, and keep your hands at your side. Don't fidget and then she'd fidget with my collar and my tie and my hair, and she'd lick my, her thumb and wipe off the sugar that was still on my face from the donuts they served every Sunday in the fellowship hall. My favorites were the big, soft, glazed kind that collapsed into my face when I took the first bite. I always smiled on the platform, but it was only because my mother wanted me to. It was a silly smile, though, a fake one. When I look back at my childhood pictures, at least the posed ones, and compare them to Ben's pictures, well, there's no comparison. In my pictures, I'm smiling all right, but I'm not really looking at anyone or anything. It's not me. It's just a look that doesn't seem to be connected to me in any way. In fact, if you thumb through the book of family photos that our church began publishing that year, you can find that look everywhere. It was the expected Christian look. Christianity at the Colorado Avenue Standard Christian Church was full of expected looks. Ben's look was something else entirely. In the back seat of the car, I pulled the bulletin out of my Bible and stared at the photo of the new First Family. Ben was staring right into the camera, but his eyes were focused somewhere just behind the lens as if he were questioning the photographer's right to be taking this picture. Look, Mom, I said, handing the picture to her. Look at his face. Becky, still leaning over the front seat, stared for a moment at the picture, and my mother was holding, just as my father turned the car into the driveway. I've seen that look before, she said. You know, when we have missionaries come on Sunday nights and show us all those boring slides from the mission field, doesn't he look just like one of those natives? who don't want to have their picture taken. They think the camera will take away their spirit or something. She was right. Ben had that same look, like he was refusing to give anything of himself away. We were certainly giving a large part of our Sunday away to the beam rings, and I regretted it. But like most of my real feelings, I kept that inside at least as much as a nine-year-old could the house and smelled the Sunday roast and got put to work immediately without even getting to loosen my tie okay now if everyone pitches in we can get this done said my mother Becky and I had to undo the table put the leaves in and reset it for nine my father cut up the roast as he usually did and my mother got going on the vegetables and the iced tea There was a whole lot of clanging and banging going on in the kitchen as seldom used pans and serving dishes were dragged from their hiding places and put into service. I could tell I was not the only one who resented this intrusion on our normal Sunday ritual. Some bangs from the kitchen were louder than they needed to be. Where are we going to heat up the water for the iced tea, said my father in his high-pitched, anxious voice. There are no more burners on the stove. My father's books were always balanced, his car and his yard were always cared for, and his serving nature was an example to all, but his real feelings often banged around inside and never came out. It's okay, dear. We'll just set the beans aside for now and put them back on the right before we're ready. See if you can find any other teapot. I think there's one above the refrigerator way in the back. I'll have to get a chair, I heard him say. It's too far back. They're here shouted my sister from the living room. That's all right, mother said calmly. We'll just make two batches. Let it go. They're here, Becky repeated, running to the door, and she and I heard were the first to get there. There was a clog of beamrings in the front hallway, as they all seemed to come through the door at the same time. Hi, Walter, Anne, said Pastor Beamring over the tops of our heads as he saw my mother and father coming behind us from the kitchen. And this must be Jonathan, right? I nodded and smiled and shook his hand. It was a big, warm hand, and up close his smile seemed to cover my whole body with a kind of syrupy glow. And this, of course, is Becky. He patted my sister on the head. Now, let me introduce my children. He patted their shoulders as he introduced them, like descending a scale on a xylophone. This is Joshua, Peter, and and his hand went for the final note, but there was nothing there. Honey, where's Ben? Mrs. Beanring didn't answer because she had passed everyone at the door and made her way into the kitchen with a heavy salad bowl in her hand. As for Ben... He had slipped through the traffic jam at the front hall and headed straight for the chocolate kisses on the coffee table in the living room. Three foil wrappers already lay there next to the candy dish. Ben, get over here. I want you to meet these people, and no more candy before dinner. Ben shuffled back to the front hall, and his father took hold of both his shoulders and planted him directly in front of us. Ben, this is Mr. Lieberman. And this is Jonathan and Becky, he said, turning Ben's whole body slightly to face each person as if he were positioning a camera on a tripod. Hi, Ben said in a remote way, along with something like a half wave, his head cocked to the side. Well, come in and sit down, said my father. Walter, that choir was wonderful this morning. And said Pastor Beamring, as we all took seats stiffly, just like he did in the pulpit, as if a large number of people were listening to him and taking notes. It made you want to look around the room to make sure a crowd hadn't gotten into my house somehow without being detected. Took me right to the gates of heaven. We should have just sent everybody home after the anthem. Not a bad idea, I thought. I looked at Ben, and something told me he was thinking the same thing. So, how is the moving going, asked my father. As well as can be expected. If if it wasn't for your kind invitation, we'd be eating beans and spam off cardboard boxes right now. Well, we wouldn't think of having you go without a dinner invitation on your first Sunday, said my father, borrowing my mother's words and sentiment. Speaking of first Sunday, that was quite a sermon you gave this morning, had me on the edge of my seat. That's the first time I ever heard about, what, what's his name, Pas- Pascal, the words out of his mouth. Blaise Pascal, he was a 17th century French physicist. Becky and I looked at each other in amazement. I couldn't even say physicist without getting all tied up in the S's. Pastor Beamring continued the conversation as if interruptions of this kind were quite a common occurrence. Yep, Mr. Pascal was quite a guy. For all his scientific experiments, his concept of God-shaped vacuum in every human heart is what made him famous. A perfect picture of the condition of man, wouldn't you say, Walter? Oh, yes, I think it captures it perfectly. They went on to discuss their excitement over the Brooklyn Dodgers moving to Los Angeles, while we all got more and more fidgety. Johnny, my father, finally said, Why don't you show the boys your room and the backyard? There's probably a few minutes yet before dinner, and I'm sure Mother could use some help in the kitchen. Becky, very much aware of the older ring boys, reluctantly veered off to the kitchen with a red face as we all filed through the dining room. Our house was small, with only two bedrooms, but my dad had turned the back screened-in porch into a bedroom for me. The walls were all windows. The dining room opened into it with double French doors, and it was also the main thoroughfare from the front of the house to the back. But it was still my room. I could close the doors and pull the curtains for privacy if I wanted it. But not today. Three leaves in, the dining room table, butted into my room, putting my father's chair right in the center of it. I led the three beam ring boys by the table with a nine, its nine iced tea coasters waiting for the arrival of their dripping wet glasses, and I started to feel a little better about having guests. Seeing the table all ready and hearing noisy conversations going on in the house suddenly made everything take on a holiday spirit. Joshua and Peter immediately found my football and left for the backyard. Ben just stood there and inspected my room. The bunk bed against the wall, the built-in bookcase that connected more toys than books, and the desk on the other side of the room presently cut off by the table. My bed up there, I said, too shy to be anything other than obvious. Do you collect baseball cards? I asked, fishing my pile of cards from a drawer under the bottom bunk. No, I don't care for sports very much. I like to read. Do you have any books? I have some Hardy Boys. Yeah, I read all of those when I was seven. I like Sherlock Holmes now. Who's he? You never heard of Sherlock Holmes? No, I said. He's a detective. Like the Hardy Boys, only better. You can borrow my books if you like. What's that, he asked, pointing at the bookshelf, and I started taking down the dusty model airplane. No, not, I've never seen one like that. Is it a model? Did you put it together? No, I said, proudly pulling down my favorite toy of 1957 blue and white Ford Fairling, just, just like our own family car. You buy them like this. They're better than models. You could never play with it if it was a model they'd break too easily here ben handled the car as if it were a museum piece turning it over carefully he examined it from every angle peering in at the interior and rolling the wheels it was the first time i saw his face brighten wow it's even got a dashboard and a steering wheel and then he set it down on the floor and rolled it back and forth He laid his face against the floor and brought the car right up to his eyes until it bumped into his nose. I like it from the front most of all. A chrome grill and clear plastic headlights. Where did you get it? At the dime store across the street from my school, I stop by almost every afternoon to see if they have anything new. There's a 58 Edsel there right now. An Edsel? Really? Yeah, it's been there for a while. No one seems to want to buy it. They're having trouble selling the real ones, too. I'd drive a real Edsel right now if I could. The Edsel is Ford's greatest idea. Somehow it seemed right that Ben Beamring's favorite car would be an Edsel. I thought they were pretty ugly, different, but ugly. It even has suspension, Bid observes as he rolled the Fairlane back and forth across the rug in my room and watched the wheels follow the bumps up and down. I couldn't believe that he noticed the suspension right away. I know, doesn't it act just like a real car? You want to try it outside? I have roads and everything. Roads? Really? Sure, let's go. From that moment on, my whole view of Ben changed. share my love of playing with cars then was the my other friends had graduated to making models to look at but these detailed reproductions were much sturdier than indie models they were made for the road and there were still plenty of miles left on my imagination an unexhaustible wealth of adventure from making roads and going on long trips to engineering gas pumps and car washes. From the beginning, I could tell that Ben had the imagination to find all this in a car and more. Actually, I didn't have many friends. Eric Johnson lived right behind us and we played together sometimes, but Eric was Catholic and school and my parents tried to discourage me from spending much time with him. I grew up believing there was something wrong with Catholics, though No one ever explained what it was. I just had this general feeling that I might catch something bad if I hung around them too long. The same went for my friends at school, actually. None of those friends went beyond the boundaries of the schoolyard, which was only a block from my house. My parents were careful to make sure that any opportunity I had for a close relationship was at church. And since church was 15 minutes and two school districts away, this presented some difficulty. Perhaps that was why I had learned to entertain myself and play for hours in a world of my own making. When I discovered that Ben's imagination ran on the same wavelength as mine, it was like opening the door to a world that had only existed in my mind. I took him outside and showed him the roads I had drawn on the concrete with chalk and he could see all the things I saw. He noticed the no passing them around the curves, the left turn lanes, and the stop printed at the intersections. I had a whole system of roads that followed the walkways around the back of our house, down the driveway, and even across the curb out front. That was my favorite part. I imagined it a daring mountain road that dropped off into a rushing river below which was actually runoff from the sprinklers of other houses up the street. Ben loved it all, especially the curbside mountain highway. At dinner, he made a big deal about my roads and my Ford Fairlane and about the fact that there was an Edsel currently unaccounted for at the dime store, which initiated a discussion among the adults as to the fate of the unusual car. I don't think it has a chance, said Ben's father, Making a loud clanking sound with his iced teaspoon. It's too far of a departure. It's a wonder it got off the drawing board. I don't mind the back, said his father. It's the grill I can't stand. It's awful. It looks like a barracuda with its mouth open. Or an Oldsmobile sucking a lemon, laughed Pastor Beamring. I like the grill, Ben interjected between the tinkling sounds of silverware and the stirring of tea. Ben's father was still working on his, and the way he was beating his glass, I thought for sure it was going to break through the bottom any minute. It's my favorite part of the car. What do you suppose got into them to design such a thing, said his father, and before any, anyone else could even give it a try, he answered his own question. I soon learned that this was a recurring aspect of any attempt to dialogue with our new pastor. I think they got carried away. Look at how the designs have been going. Bigger fins, more and more chrome, each new design becoming more outrageous. It was only a matter of time until someone reached a point of no return. Enter the Etzel. Or maybe I just say, exit the Ethel. Ha! How about that? Could be prophetic. Exit the Ethel kind of has a ring to it, don't you think? Unless it's a false prophecy, Ben said his mother. And I tipped my tea glass slightly, catching it but sloshing some of its contents on the table. I was just settling it down when I caught a slight twinkle in Miss Beamring's eye as she reprimanded Ben. I dare not even steal a look at Ben's father, though I know exactly what look he had on his face because I saw it so many times afterward. It's printed on my memory. It was a look he always got when Ben crossed him in some way. A look made up of equal parts of anger, exasperation, embarrassment, and impatience, but with a dash of admiration. Ben, Pastor Bingwing said in a very controlled voice, maybe you would like to instruct us all about false prophecy since you know so much about it. It got very quiet at the table. The pastor stopped stirring his tea. But Peter and Joshua took to stirring theirs, as if to pick up where their father left off. I couldn't take my eyes off Ben. I wondered what the critic of Sunday school songs was going to come up with now. Actually, Dad, it was a marketing problem. There was an article in the Saturday Evening Post last week They said the problem with the ETSA wasn't looks, but the fact that they created it on the results of a detailed study, but didn't actually get the car out until five years later. By the time the car arrived, the market had completely changed. Silence settled over the table like the undissolvable sugar floating in the bottom of Pastor Beamer's glass. Ben's brothers absorbed themselves in their food, My sister, as usual, was somewhere else with her thoughts and relatively disinterested. The two mothers exchanged glances. My father stared into his iced tea glass, trying to avoid the uncomfortable moment. Mr. Beamring raised his eyebrows, cleared his throat, and stared at his son with the look. And Ben was cutting a fresh piece of meat. My mother finally broke the silence. It sounds as if we have a future businessman on our hands here, or President Ford Motor Company, which was what I was thinking right then. Thus ends two chapters, St. Ben. Story taking place in 1958. About eleven-year-old boy. You'll love it. If you'd like to read more of it, you can still get Saint Ben on Amazon.com. And someday, we're going to make it into a movie. Hope you enjoy Saint Ben. Hope you enjoyed a couple chapters tonight. A little bit different for Block Talk. We will be. Waiting for next week When we have a new guest on our show But for now Keep thinking for yourself That's what Ben teaches us Don't let what everybody else is doing and saying Set the tone for you Think your own thoughts Have your own relationship with God Don't just go with the flow. Sometimes going against it will help you discover the real truth. God bless.